Good morning uh, and welcome again uh, to this uh, Palm Sunday online service for St. Mary's Cathedral. Uh, can I get you to turn with me please to Matthew chapter 21, 1 to 11, uh, either in your Bibles or in the order of service that you might have downloaded. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, 1 to 11, it'd be helpful to have that in front of you uh, and let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together electronically around your word. Uh, and we pray that you speak to us uh, by your spirit uh, as we look at this word together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. During this coronavirus season, uh, many of us are doing our part to love our neighbours by staying at home. But there are also people who do this by engagement in the essential services in our community. Uh, and we are grateful for, for their willingness to take risks uh, to serve the rest of us. Some people work in hospitals uh, in order to serve those who have the virus. And in some countries, these very people have got affected themselves. Uh, these people need all the protection that they can be given. Uh, but in spite of all the precautions they take, the risks are still there for these frontline heroes who, with proper authorization, go to dangerous places to serve others. In the passage we're looking at today, Jesus, in the will of his Father, was going somewhere dangerous to serve us. He was traveling to Jerusalem. And he knew it was dangerous. He knew he would die there. Uh, earlier on in chapter 20, uh, he had said this to his disciples. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. He had to go to Jerusalem to fulfill the Old Testament, because that was the place from which God's king would reign. And Jesus knew that he was the king that God had promised would rule not only Israel, but the whole world. He also knew that he would become king by dying on a cross. Because at the cross, he would rescue people from sin and death and Satan and judgment and hell. And he would do that by taking their punishment for them on their behalf. By, and by rescuing a people uh, by his death, he would become their king. And he would be raised from the dead to rule them as their king. And so Jesus was going to Jerusalem to become king. Now, Jesus has been traveling there on foot for a long time from far away. But now, he's getting close. But before he reaches the city, he comes in verse 1 of chapter 21 to a place called Bethphage. Uh, it is on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. That's probably only about a mile outside the city. Ancient kings had the right to requisition transport. And so Jesus sends two disciples ahead of him to the village, uh, saying in verse 2 and 3, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, walking so far and then riding into Jerusalem would have been a strange thing to do. Because in those days, pilgrims to Jerusalem would normally ride first and then dismount and then walk uh, the final stage of their pilgrimage. But Jesus deliberately turns this around. Why? Because he is making a statement in fulfillment of prophecy. And Matthew tells us in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, 
the fall of a beast of burden. The prophecy, the prophecy quoted here is Zechariah 9 verse 9, which we read earlier. It was a prophetic call for Israel to rejoice because the king that would save her was coming, not on a war horse, but on a colt, a young donkey. He would become king in a humble and unconventional way. Though riding a donkey was not without precedence. A thousand years beforehand, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, King Solomon, David's literal son, had ridden on David's donkey to be anointed king. And Zechariah's prophecy showed that when God's final king would come, he would do the same. So the disciples go and do what Jesus said. Uh, they bring the donkey and her colt uh, in verse 7. Uh, they put their cloaks on them and he sits on their clothes. Uh, we know from the other Gospels that he rode the colt, uh, which maybe, uh, but maybe he transferred to the mother when the young animal got tired because it was a steep ride down from the, the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Or maybe he just thought it was a good idea to have uh, the mother along when the colt was ridden for the first time. But whatever it is, Jesus approaches Jerusalem on this young donkey. And this huge crowd of pilgrims are flocking into Jerusalem for the coming festival of the Passover. And they see this, they realize this is a claim to kingship. They've seen Jesus do many signs and wonders. Things that the Old Testament says that only God can do. And that he promised to do when his Messiah, the King, would come to save his people. They've heard Jesus preach and teach about the kingdom. They believe that he is the King. And so in verse 8, uh, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Again, there's a precedent. Uh, in 2 Kings 9.13, which we won't look up now, uh, people spread their cloaks on the ground before Jehu when he was proclaimed king of Israel. Because in the ancient mind, clothes represented their wearers. And spreading your clothes beneath someone was a sign of submission to them. And so the crowd was saying, we yield to you as our king. And others in verse 9 cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. An expression of hope that may have reminded them of the victory over an oppressor nearly 200 years ago. And in verse 9, they are shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna originally meant save us now or save us we pray. Although by then it might have been just used to say we praise you, we acclaim you. Uh, people cried Hosanna to God in Psalm 118, which we read earlier. But these people don't just say Hosanna, they say Hosanna to the son of David. And you remember David, David was an ancient Israelite king, an ancestor of Jesus. And a thousand years before this, God had promised David that his dynasty would last forever. And so the son of David is the rightful heir to the throne, the king of Israel, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And so the people say in verse 9, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They are praying that Jesus will be blessed as the king sent by God. In fact, this is also from Psalm 118. Uh, if you have a look at verse 25 of the psalm, uh, it says this, Save us, we pray, that's the Hosanna word, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So what are these people doing in their acclamations? They are calling on God and his anointed king to save his people. And they are calling for God's blessing on Jesus as that anointed king. Well, all this fuss and anticipation brought a stir among the people of Jerusalem. 
Right? Imagine these crowds of people, outsiders, coming in, causing this big commotion in the city and proclaiming the coming of a new king. How is Jerusalem going to respond? Well, look at verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? Who is this? The people of Jerusalem and the leaders of Israel would need to make a decision. Who is this guy? Are we with him or are we against him? Is he really the king that God has promised? Or is he just a bluff? If he was a bluff, he would be politically dangerous because it's going to cause trouble. He might lead the people against Rome and the Rome will attack us. So it's better for the Jewish leadership to deal with them themselves. On the other hand, if he's for real, then what the leaders ought to do is hand power over to him. They ought to put their clothes on the ground, as it were, and let him ride on them. And when he comes to the temple, they ought to let him take over. Not that they'd be willing to do any of this, of course, because there's too many vested interests at stake. And yet they cannot run from the question. And that is the question we all have to face when confronted with Jesus. Who is this guy? Are we with him or are we against him? The crowd that went with Jesus believed him to be the promised king. But when they were asked by the local people of Jerusalem, they chose here to identify another aspect of Jesus in which to, to, to emphasize. Look what they said in verse 11. The crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Maybe that's a safer answer, huh? less revolutionary. But even when you look carefully at what they said, though, they weren't just saying that he is a prophet, but the prophet. 1,500 years before this, Moses had predicted in Deuteronomy 18 that God would raise up a prophet like him. And this prophet would be from among them. He would be an Israelite. And the prophet would speak God's word. And Moses said, you must listen to him. Anyone who doesn't listen to him will be cut off from God's people. And so the crowds not only believe that Jesus is the king, they're also saying that he is the prophet, which still means you have to listen to him. You have to obey him like the Israelites obeyed Moses. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, primarily acclaimed as king, but also recognized as the prophet like Moses. What will happen when he gets there? Well, the very next thing that Matthew will record him doing is treating the temple as if it's, own, as if it's his own. He, he will drive out those doing business there. He will heal the blind and the lame and will start preaching and teaching there. Because the Old Testament had predicted that after the messenger, who turned out to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, God himself would come to his temple. That's yet another aspect of Jesus' identity the highest and most lofty one. He is the king, he is the prophet, he is God, come to save his people. So what would Jerusalem and the leaders do with Jesus? Well, they would do exactly what he predicted. They would get a friend to betray him. They would convict him of blasphemy. They would condemn him to death. They would hand him over to the Romans. They would accuse him of treason against Caesar. And he would indeed be mocked and scourged and crucified. He would be crowned king with a crown of thorns. 
He would be hailed as king sarcastically by soldiers who ridiculed him and spat on him. He would be labeled king with a written charge placed over his head on the cross where he would be executed. And yet so frightening would this phenomenon be that surrounded his death that the Roman centurion would finally exclaim, truly this was the son of God. Truly this was the king. So Jesus became king as the prophets and said, as he predicted, not by force, but by death. He became king by saving his people. He is the king who answers the true meaning of Hosanna, save us. And he rescues his people, not from Roman occupation, but from the far bigger problem of sin and death and Satan and judgment and hell. He saved his people by dying for us on the cross. For as he hung there, he took our sins on himself. He took the guilt, the punishment that we deserve. He was forsaken so that we can be accepted. He experienced the judgment of God so that we would never have to. He died for us, his people. But on the third day, God would vindicate him. He would show the whole world who his king really is by raising him from the dead. And when Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, he would say to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, for Jesus is indeed the king. Much bigger king than just of a little country in the Middle East, but the Lord of heaven and earth. And one day when he returns, his kingship will be made clear for all to see. And those who have rejected his kingship will be lost forever. But his people will come into that glorious kingdom where he will be their king eternally. And so friends, the question that faces each one of us today is the same question that stirred up the people of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Who is this? If he's a bluff, then you can spit on him and curse him and exterminate him. But if he's for real, then bow down to him as king and savior. What we cannot do is muck around with him. What we cannot do is tame him. What we cannot do is have him just as a little bit of religious furniture in our life because he suits our taste, it makes us feel better in a crisis, but when it comes to real decisions, we can ignore him. No, 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 no. Jesus really is the king God been promising in the Old Testament. And he can help us in a crisis because he really is Lord. And he really can give us eternal life beyond the grave. And he really does deserve to be treated as the true king of our life. If you haven't been treating Jesus as the king of your life, it's still not too late to come into his kingdom. Cry out to him, Hosanna, save me. Save me not just from the Romans, but from sin. Let the forgiveness you purchased through the death on the cross apply to me. Save me to be yours forever. And as the people spread out their clothes in submission to you, I submit to you as my loving risen king. And I say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm so happy to have you as my savior king. And I want you to rule my life. Will you say that to Jesus today? Be warned though. When Jesus comes into your life as king, he will want to take over. When he went into Jerusalem, he went to the temple, he cleared it. 
And he had, he had every right to do that because he is God, come to his temple. And when Jesus becomes our king, he has every right to rule our lives. And he will want to change us and mold us and make us to be what we're really meant to be. And we'll need to let him do that. But there are many people uh, in this online service today who, who live with Jesus as their king. And today I want to remind you why the king went to Jerusalem. Despite the danger, despite the certainty of suffering that first Palm Sunday. He went there because he loves you. And he was willing to pay the price to have you in his kingdom. Love him as your king. And trust his leadership of your life. And even more importantly, he's the one who went to Jerusalem that day because that's what he had to do to fulfill God's plan. He was willing to suffer in obedience to the Father. And brothers and sisters, we who are in the kingdom will face the same thing. God's plan for us is that we become more like Christ. We know that it's the best thing for us. But we also know that that might involve suffering and pain. Jesus was willing to go to Jerusalem to suffer in accordance with the Father's will. And we must be willing to suffer if that is part of God's plan for us. If that is how God is going to make us more like Jesus, then we need to trust that he is good, that he works all things for our good and his glory, and to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But Jesus is not a king who sits there and tells us to face suffering by ourselves because it's good for us in the end. He is the king who went through suffering and death for us. The prophet Isaiah called him the man of sorrows. He knows what it's like and he can support us through. But more than that, he is the king who was raised from the dead, who has defeated death and will raise us in the end as well to enjoy his love and live in his kingdom forever where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And we can enjoy being with him together under his loving rule forever. So sisters and brothers, Jesus is the king who loves us, who obeys the Father, who died in our place, who defeated death for us, his people. What a wonderful king we have. And so today, in gratefulness to our king, we echo the words of those pilgrims who entered Jerusalem all those years ago. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge your son Jesus today as our king. We thank you that in obedience to you and love for us, he went to Jerusalem to die. We thank you that by dying for our sins, he has purchased us as his people. And we thank you that you have shown us unmistakably that he is your promised king by raising him from the dead. And that he will come again to judge the world and save his people. And we pray that all of us who have joined this online service would submit to your Son as our King. 
And we pray that you help us to appreciate and love Jesus more and more as the King who loved us and went to Jerusalem to suffer for us. And please help us to trust you in times of suffering, knowing that you are good and that in all things you work for our good and your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.